So this morning we are continuing in our series in Advent, which is Advent according to Luke, where we're going through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke and seeing how Luke prepares us for the coming of Christ. What, what, is Luke, what stories is Luke telling leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ? So now we come to Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. So please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, verses 57 to 80. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness for for him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So as we come to our last Sunday in Advent, we're getting closer to Christmas. Our shopping is increasing. The traffic is kind of crazy. The stores are playing Christmas music more and more. In church here, we've been singing the Christmas hymns that we all love so much. There's so many things to enjoy about Christmas. Music, movies food, families, traditions. But in all these things we enjoy about the season this year, we can't forget the tremendous gift of God that is the arrival of Jesus. Not only should we enjoy 
the Christmas season. But we should praise God this time of year. Last week, Jerry preached on Mary's hymn, often called the Magnificat, which gives us a wonderful example of praise. And this week, we'll look at the birth of John the Baptist and then a hymn of praise by his father, Zechariah. And then this, we'll see three reasons to praise God for the coming of Jesus. Because it's through Jesus, God redeems us. It's through Jesus that God shows us mercy. And through Jesus that you can serve God without fear. So our passage this morning follows Mary's visit to Elizabeth, where they were both pregnant with miracle babies. And now Mary stayed with her for three months, and then our passage begins in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her, and they all wondered. So Luke, once again, is setting the scene. The birth of John the Baptist has come, and all the neighbors of Zechariah and Elizabeth hear of this, and they come together to celebrate this miracle. If you recall, Elizabeth was well past childbearing years when the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah and said she would bear a son. So Elizabeth, who was once shamed because she was barren, now has been shown mercy. She's been blessed by the Lord with a baby boy. And then everyone came to celebrate. Then Luke says, starting in verse 59, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and wrote, his name is John. So on the eighth day, John receives the sign of the covenant, circumcision. And this is the way it was commanded to Abraham when circumcision was instituted that this should happen on the eighth day. And so we see an act here confirming Luke's earlier description of John's parents. He said that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So they faithfully follow the commands to circumcise their son on the eighth day. And so at this circumcision, some of the people felt the baby should be named after his father, Zechariah. But Elizabeth steps in and says, no, his name shall be John. And so no doubt Zechariah must have communicated and told her that what the angel told him, that his name was going to be John. And he must have written it down because he was unable to speak. If you recall, when Zechariah doubted What the angel Gabriel told him, the angel Gabriel made it so he was unable to speak. So this would have been nine months have gone by, and Zechariah has not been able to speak this whole time. But Elizabeth, obediently and faithfully, as usual, says his name shall be John. And it says that they made signs to Zechariah. And this seems to indicate that he was not only mute, but he was also deaf. They had to communicate through signs. And so the people were curious. Why would Elizabeth name him John? No one in her family is named John. And they wanted to know what Zechariah thought. 
And so he answers by writing on a tablet, confirming that his name is John. At this point, Zechariah is instructing them. It's not his name shall be John, but his name is John. And this astonishes the people. And then, since he was faithfully obedient in naming his son John, Zechariah can suddenly speak again. And in verse 64 we read, And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. So Zechariah was disciplined for his unbelief when the angel Gabriel revealed that his wife would bear a son. He didn't trust what the angel told him, the, the word of God he was communicating to him. He didn't trust the power of God to bring about a son in his elderly barren wife. But now, Zechariah knows the word of God is trustworthy. God promised him, God's promise to him was fulfilled. And so Zechariah, after nine long months of being deaf and mute, can finally speak, and the first thing he does is bless God. What a great picture of a godly man learning through God's faithfulness and his discipline. And it's a reminder for us to bless God and to praise God in our circumstances. God is the reason we have life. He's the reason that we're even breathing today. God is the reason we have any hope in this often dark and twisted world. The world never ceases to give us reminders of the sinful hearts of humanity. It's relentless. But the word of God never ceases to give us reminders of the hope that is in Jesus Christ and the faithfulness and the steadfast love of God for his people. And so the crowd responds to Zechariah with his sudden ability to speak. We see this in starting verse 65. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So the whole crowd could sense God was at work in this situation. And so the fear of God came upon them. And the word of God, what he had done for this childless couple, was spreading. The amazing moment of Zechariah speaking again and worshiping God. And they had questions. What would come of baby John? Clearly. The hand of the Lord was upon him. And so then we're told that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. The activity of the Holy Spirit is ramped up in the beginning of Luke's gospel because God is doing something amazing in this moment in time. Not only for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but for all of humanity in all of time. The miracle of John's birth is a miracle that will prepare everyone for the coming Messiah. So what follows here is an explosion of praise and prophecy from Zechariah filled with the Spirit. This hymn of praise is often called the Benedictus. And it's just like Mary's Magnificat that, that just gets its name from the first word in the Latin translation. But while it's similar, there are some similarities to Mary's hymn. Zechariah's hymn also brings a unique aspect of praise and worship of God. He begins in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Zechariah immediately, he begins by praising Yahweh, the God of Israel. 
for visiting his people. Now, this comes at a time after 400 years of silence. No prophet had been raised up since the prophet Malachi. This was 400 years had gone by, but now God has come to his people. He has sent the angel Gabriel to both Zechariah and Mary to announce the miraculous births that would take place, and he has fulfilled the first of those births in John. And God, the Holy Spirit, was promised to be with John from his birth, and now Zechariah himself is filled with the Holy Spirit. But Zechariah doesn't only praise God's presence in visiting his people, but the purpose of God's presence, to redeem his people. And this is the first reason you can praise God for the coming of Jesus. Because it's through Jesus God redeems you. God's redemption of his people was something that they were all longing for. God had redeemed Israel from Egypt, and this was a foreshadowing of the redemption that is to come in Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, redemption is connected to the theme of captivity. Because if someone is enslaved, if they're held captive, therefore they must be redeemed. A price must be paid. A sacrifice must be made in order for them to be rescued. This is why the redemption of Israel from slavery in Egypt points us to the redemption in Christ because similar to Israel in Egypt, we're born into slavery. We're born into slavery to sin and death. The sin of Adam and Eve sold themselves and all of their descendants into slavery to sin. And there's no way for you to get yourself out of it. And if you look around, if you interact with people, those who have not been born again, those who have not been given a spiritual birth by the Holy Spirit, they don't even know they're enslaved to sin. People in the world think that their addiction to things like money and pride and gossip, ambition and work are good things. Slavery to sin makes us love ourselves. People in the world think pride is a virtue. Sin is not merely an action, but it is a tyrant. It's our master. It has a power over every person that must be broken. And so because you're a sinner, because you sinned against God, you deserve the wages of this sin, which is death. And again, there's no way to get yourself out of it. But you can praise God this Christmas season that he didn't leave you there. God redeemed his people by sending his son into the world to die as a substitute. The arrival of the Messiah is the arrival of the Redeemer, the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you trust not in yourself but in Jesus Christ for your salvation, then through the free gift of God's grace, you've been redeemed. You've been purchased and delivered and rescued through his sacrifice on the cross. It's Jesus and the blood on the cross that delivers us from sin and death. And so you can praise God that through Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed. Zechariah says that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. God's salvation comes as he promised through his prophets. His Messiah is a son of David. And Jesus saves his people not by military power because he didn't come to save God's people from 
political oppression. But as Zechariah says, he came that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. That is, Jesus came to save you from the reign of sin and death. Jesus saved you from your death by his death. And he gives you life through his life. So praise God for the coming of Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer. And so Zechariah continues in this hymn of praise. Not only is the Messiah coming to save God's people, but also in verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. The Messiah came to fulfill the promise made to Abraham. He came to fulfill God's covenant. And through the coming of Jesus, God shows the mercy that he has promised. God's mercy for all his people is seen in that although everyone has a wicked heart, including the people of God, we were all born with a sin nature. God loves his people enough to provide his substitute, to provide a savior. God's mercy is his tender, steadfast love for every one of us. And there, there are many examples throughout the Bible of God's steadfast love, his faithfulness. But the ultimate example of God's mercy comes in the Messiah. And this is the second reason you can praise God for the coming of Jesus. Because through Jesus, God shows you mercy. Zechariah connects God's mercy to his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Abraham. Because the blessings promised to Abraham were an act of mercy to him. Abraham was a sinner. And God came to him and promised so many blessings to him. And God promised mercy to his wickedest people. And this was proclaimed throughout the prophets as well. God repeatedly shows and proclaims that he will never completely abandon his people. Even through their exile in Babylon, God continued to speak through the prophets to his people. God's mercy and his grace are often things that we use interchangeably. But they're really two sides of the same coin. There's a subtle difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. It's God not giving you what you deserve. While grace is getting unmerited favor. It's God giving you blessings that you do not deserve. And so in his mercy, God doesn't give you your punishment. In his grace, he gives you the blessings that you do not deserve, that only Jesus himself deserved. Both God's grace and his mercy come through Jesus Christ. And because God's not only gracious and merciful, he's also righteous and just. And so God, to be just, justice must be served. He can't, in his mercy, simply forgive sinners without punishing those sin. Sin demands his punishment and his wrath. But in the coming of Jesus, in the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, God's mercy and his grace meet his justice and his righteousness. And this is part of what makes Zechariah's prayer prophetic. He's prophesying the mercy that comes through Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of his covenant. Because of your sins were imputed or transferred to Christ, his death on the cross paid the penalty 
for your sins. Your sins were punished in Jesus. Therefore, God can righteously and justly show you mercy. God's love for you is so profound, he was willing to sacrifice his son to an excruciating death where he descended into hell, taking on the punishment for your wickedness, for what you have done, so that he could show you mercy, so that you can praise him for his mercy in the coming of Jesus. If God were to judge you right now on your own record, you'd be guilty. But in his steadfast love, in his faithfulness, in his mercy, he has forgiven you. It's only by the mercy of God that you even woke up this morning. Because everyone, you and I, deserve his judgment. But he loves us. He loves us so much that he's given us mercy and grace. So praise God for the coming of Jesus. Because through Jesus, God redeemed you and he's shown you mercy. Now, Zechariah not only tells us this, but he also tells us the reason for our redemption, the reason for God's mercies. Starting at the end of verse 73, he says, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God's deliverance of all his people from the enemies of sin and death has a purpose. He delivered you that you might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all your days. And this brings us the third reason you can praise God for the coming of Jesus. Because it's through Jesus you can serve God without fear. There are really two ways people serve God. You can serve God out of fear. I'm scared he's going to punish me, so therefore I'm going to serve him so he doesn't kill me. But the other way is to serve him out of love. Because of Jesus Christ, we can serve God not out of fear. And the reason is not only did he take on our punishment, but also through Jesus Christ, we're given his righteousness in His holiness. Through Jesus Christ, you can serve God knowing that He sees you in the righteousness and holiness of Jesus. In His grace, God not only transferred your sins to Jesus to be punished on the cross, but He transferred the righteous, perfectly holy record from the life of Jesus. You can come this morning into the presence of God, a God of perfect righteousness, a God whose nature demands perfect holiness, and you can worship and serve him without any fear. Because of his mercy and his grace, because your sins have been punished in Jesus, and because you can be seen before the Father, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you can praise God for this. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are now servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the only two options in life. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve sin, which manifests itself in so many ways, money and pride and so on, serving yourself, and serve Christ. You're either serving one or the other. But God has redeemed you in Christ. 
that through faith in Jesus Christ, you are now his. You now belong to Jesus. You've been purchased by his blood. And you no longer need to serve sin. You no longer need to live for yourself, live for money and pride. You now serve Jesus Christ. And you can serve and worship God without fear. You can serve and worship God in holiness and righteousness. So we can praise God for the coming of Jesus who redeemed you from sin and death. Who has taken your punishment that God may show you mercy. And now you can serve God instead of sin. Because of Jesus, you no longer need to serve yourself and any worthless kingdom that you can build. You can live for the kingdom of God. You no longer need to rely on the false promises of this world. You can rely on the promises of God. So now at the end of this hymn, after Zechariah's glorious praise of God, he moves his focus to a prophecy about his son, John. And what John will do in his ministry. Starting in verse 76 he says. And you child. Will be called the prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. In the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. John's whole life and his whole ministry is never about himself. He's the prophet who was promised to prepare the way for the Lord. That's his job. John the Baptist is a herald who announces that the Christ is coming. He's the forerunner to Christ. John isn't the Savior himself. He can't provide forgiveness of sins himself. And he's actually asked this at one point. People asked him if he was the Christ. People started to think John was the Messiah. And he answered them, He who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John gives a knowledge of salvation. He gives a knowledge of the forgiveness of sins that is to come. And so he proclaims this message. He tells people that Jesus is coming. He prepares people for the one who can provide salvation through forgiveness of sins. John will proclaim God's mercy to his people that will be shown through Jesus. And so this message that John does proclaim is an important, probably the most wonderful message any sinner can hear. The message of the gospel. The message of God's mercy through the forgiveness of sins. So John's birth preceded the birth of Christ. And this is Christ who will be a sunrise that visits us. In the darkness of sin, John's message of hope in the mercy of God gives light to everyone. And it brings you out of the shadow of death. This is John's job, to guide people to God's people, to the peace of Jesus Christ. God promised that through his Messiah... He would make an everlasting covenant of peace with his people. And Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus is the one that makes the covenant of peace with his people. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave you with. My peace I give to you. The most pressing need for everyone born into sin is to be reconciled with God. 
through sin, we're in rebellion against God. It makes us enemies with him. But Jesus is the one who brings us peace with God. Jesus died as a substitute, taking on the wrath that we could be made right before God, that you could stand before God and even be a child of God. Because of Jesus Christ, you've been reconciled to God. And therefore, you also receive the peace of God. Those that have been restored in a right relationship with God through Christ have the peace of God's favor that is bestowed upon his people. So every one of you who believes in Jesus Christ for your salvation continue to rejoice and praise God for the coming of Jesus. That through Jesus you've been redeemed. You've been shown the mercy of God and that you can serve him out of love, not fear. Because that is the purpose of your salvation and your redemption, that you can serve the one who, true God who has saved you and who has called you to himself. You've been saved from the wrath of God to a life of service to God. And you can serve him out of love because Jesus loved you first. God loved you so much that he chose you for salvation. And he sent his son in the world to live the perfectly righteous life that you could never live and to die the death you deserve, to call you out of darkness, to call you out from the slavery to sin and death to an eternal life of serving him in glory. And so if you are here this morning and you don't have the hope of Jesus Christ, that is the forgiveness of sins that he offers, let today be the day of your salvation. Do you have the peace in your life that only Jesus Christ can provide? Put your faith in in Jesus for your salvation. Give your life over to him. Because your only hope in life and in death is the perfect life and sacrifice of Jesus. That through him you can be a child of God. You can live for him. You can live for his kingdom free from the tyranny of sin and death. Because in Jesus Christ, you have everything. Without him, you have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you to praise you for the coming of Jesus Christ. We praise you for all the Christmas means and points us to. We praise you that you have redeemed us from slavery to sin and death, through the sacrifice and the blood of your Son. We praise you for your mercy upon us that can only come through his sacrifice, that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to live and die on our behalf. Lord, we praise you that you would call us to service of you. You called us out of serving ourselves and serving sin to serve you, the King of glory, that we may continue on the path of righteousness that you have called us to, Lord. May you be with us and bless us as we do this. And we do it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.